We're going to begin on question number five, and we've actually run new notes that have been expanded, so you may want to pick up the new notes. And if you'd open your Bibles, the text I want to read before we begin our study tonight is in Proverbs chapter 2. If you'd go there, please. We're going to go to several different passages tonight, but we want to start at Proverbs chapter 2, which says this, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then... You will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and your people who've come out tonight to be involved in this study. We pray that it would be profitable for us. We'd learn and we would grow. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. To succeed in any area of anything you have to be properly qualified. For example, there's a bunch of tornadoes that hit in the south, and I noticed that there are power outages and there are utility companies that are going down there to help restore the power. Well, you just can't climb poles and start touching wires. You have to know what you're doing. You have to be qualified. We've had people who work for Consumers Power that they had to be trained. They have to know what they're doing when they go up those poles, or you can get yourself in serious trouble. This is true in every field of operation. To succeed, you have to be properly qualified, and the same is true when it comes to the Scriptures. To actually succeed in arriving at proper, true interpretations, there are some qualifications that must be met, and if these qualifications are met, People will succeed in their understanding of the Word of God. There are nine qualifications that we want to talk about tonight in regard to this particular study. The first qualification is, one must be a believer in Jesus Christ who has a desire to know truth and obey truth. One must be a believer in Jesus Christ who has a desire to know truth and obey truth. I'd like you to go over to John chapter 8, if you would, please. John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, I want to read a couple of verses that become critical to this. John chapter 8, verse 31, we read, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So what he basically says here is if you want to know truth, what you have to do is you have to, first of all, be a believer in me. They had believed in him. And then you must purpose to continue in the word, to abide in the word, to apply the word, to obey the word. So he said, there's a qualification right there. You have to believe in me, and then you have to have a desire to know truth and obey truth. Now, just flip back to Luke 24 for just a moment, just a few pages back to Luke chapter 24. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is appearing after his resurrection, and we read in verse 45 of Luke 24, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Proper interpretation starts right here. It's the Lord 
who must authorize and give a person an accurate understanding of his word. Now we read that, and of course we say that was his resurrection, and he's talking to his disciples there, but I'd like you to go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would please. 2 Timothy chapter 2, because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are now in the last letter that Paul writes before he dies, and we are well into the church age. So this is, this is written well advanced into the age of the church. And what we read in 2 Timothy 2.7 is, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now here's Paul, who's as skilled a man as there could ever be in the scriptures, writing to Timothy, who was actually hand-picked and hand-trained by the Apostle Paul. He was very skilled, and he says, it's the Lord that has to give you understanding. You have to get understanding from the Lord. So this is not just some academic achievement or accomplishment. Now, what happens to a believer is the moment a person believes, they receive the Spirit of God. Every single believer receives the Spirit of God. That Spirit of God potentially enables one to grasp the truth of God. However, it's the spiritually minded believer whose mind will be able to understand the truth of God. One must be a believer to come to terms with truth. One who's not a believer doesn't have the capability of ever ascertaining the truth of the Scriptures. That's clearly stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 that says the natural man cannot understand the things of God, cannot understand them because they're spiritually apprised. Every unsaved person is spiritually blind. And we learn from 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, they're blinded by Satan and spiritually dead. So now if you take a spiritually dead person and a spiritually blind person, they're not going to be able to understand or see truth from the word of God. In order for them to accurately understand and interpret the Bible, one must be born again, one must want to know truth, and one must want to apply truth. Now you could take a non-believer who knows something about the English language or even one who studied the Greek and Hebrew language, you could take a non-believer and they could go to any verse of the Bible, analyze the syntax of any verse in any language, if they knew Greek or Hebrew or English. They could do that. An unbeliever could go to any verse of the Bible and say, well, I can pick out the parts of speech. That's a noun, that's a verb, that's an adjective, that's an adverb, that's a preposition. Any serious grammarian or linguist could do that. But a non-believer has no capacity whatsoever to actually grasp what the text is actually saying and what the text actually means. They don't have the potential of doing that. Because these things are spiritually determined as one is in a right relationship with God. So one has to have a spirituality that is true and God-honoring before one can grasp the truth. An unbeliever cannot give a true, accurate interpretation of a text because Jesus Christ will not authorize it. I think this point is just overlooked. In fact, most books on Bible study methods and hermeneutics, and even exegesis, they don't address this issue of being qualified to approach the Scriptures, but the Bible makes it very clear. I'd like you to go to Isaiah chapter 6, if you would, please, just for a minute. I want to just point out a couple of verses from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read in verses 9 to 10 of Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to take you to several passages tonight. But in Isaiah 6, verses 
9 to 10, we read, he said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive, keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. I mean, God is basically saying, I determine who understands my word and who doesn't understand my word. Now, as long as you're open to Isaiah, go over to chapter 44. Go over to chapter 44, and notice verse 18. Verse 18 says, They do not know, nor do they understand, for he has smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. Now, if we compare that statement to what is stated in Luke chapter 8, seeing and understanding is a grant from God, what we would conclude from that is, if we're going to properly interpret the Bible, one must be a believer in Jesus Christ, and one must have a desire to know the truth, and one must have a desire to obey the truth. It starts there. There's qualification number one. It's not the only qualification, but it is one of the qualifications. Now, the second qualification that one must have if one is going to accurately interpret the scriptures is there must be a reverence for God and his word. There must be a reverence for God and his word. And I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, if you would please, Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is a powerful statement in the book of Deuteronomy. I still remember this when we went through it in our exposition of Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 46 of Deuteronomy 32, 46, we read, He said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I'm warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you, indeed it is your life. And by this word you will prolong the days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. God says, you need to take this word very seriously and reverently. This is your life. This is what will put you on a path of life. That word should be taken seriously and reverenced. Now flip over to Job's statement, which I find intriguing in Job chapter 23. In Job 23 and verse 12, here's what we read. I have not departed from the command of his lips. Now look at this part of what Job says in the second half of the verse, verse 12 of chapter 23. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job says, I'll tell you the reverence I have for the word of God. I have treasured the words of God as being more significant and important to me than the food I eat. That's what he's basically saying there. And then go over to Psalm chapter 12. Just go over a few pages to Psalm chapter 12. And in Psalm chapter 12 and verse 6, we read, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. So, What we conclude is, if one is going to accurately understand the word of God, they're going to have to have a reverence for the scriptures. And even when the New Testament grace age began, Peter challenged believers, you need to fear God. You need to fear the Lord. New Testament grace age believers, he said, you need to fear God. So a fear and reverence for God is something we need to have. And without a fear and reverence for God, nobody will become a skilled interpreter of the scriptures. 
Furthermore, when Paul wrote his last letter to Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 3.15 that you have known the sacred writings from a child. You've known the sacred writings from a child, sacred scriptures from the child. And then he said in 2 Timothy 3.16, all of those scriptures are God-breathed. Now, when he uses that word sacred, era in Hebrew, it is a word that talks about something that is consecrated to God. So Paul is telling Timothy, those scriptures are to be taken very seriously. You need to understand those scriptures are sacred. They're actually consecrated to God. And one of the keys to properly interpreting the Bible is to approach the Bible that way. Approach it in an honorable way, in a reverent way. This is God's holy word. And when we approach the scriptures, we need to have that concept that this is sacred. This is a sacred book here that we're trying to study. And without that high view of God's word, there will never be a true interpretation of it. We need to accept the fact it's God's inspired word. We need to treat it with reverence and great respect. And that's the way we are to view it, and that's the way we're to handle it. And I like what Dr. Roy Zuck eloquently said, a lackadaisical or cavalier attitude toward the Bible does not contribute to proper understanding of God's truth. So qualification number one, one must be a believer, and one must want to know the truth, and one must want to obey the truth. Qualification number two, one must have a reverence for the word of God. Qualification number three, one must be willing to pray. One must be willing to pray to ask God for a proper interpretation and understanding. As long as we're open to Psalms, go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, we read in verse 18 this prayer that is made by the psalmist. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes. He's praying for God to open his eyes that he can behold wonderful things from the word of God. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, the Lord Jesus taught his disciples, you need to ask, seek, find, and knock. Ask, seek, find, and knock. In other words, pray and search the scriptures and you'll find what you're looking for. Now, when Solomon taught his own son concerning the key to tapping into the knowledge of God in the text we read tonight from Proverbs, he said that you need to cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. Cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. In other words, he taught his son to pray. And one who will arrive at a true interpretation will be one who prays for a true interpretation. But I want to point out something very important about this. Prayer does not replace careful study of God's word. Prayer is a qualification, but it's not the only qualification. I was in a a service one time where a guy prayed basically that Psalm 119.18 prayer. Only he prayed it for the whole group. God, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things. Then he opened his mouth, and I'm thinking, you know, really, you should have prayed that privately and studied before you opened your mouth. Because what he was saying wasn't squaring with the text that he was talking about. He just started talking about all kinds of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you didn't do what you asked God to do in your prayer. We must ask God to give us understanding of his word, but we also must systematically study the scriptures if we're going to gain that understanding. You know, you can, uh, I want to go back to guys who work for power companies. They can pray 
before they go up the pole, God keep me safe. God keep me safe before they climb the pole to try and fix a power outage. But you better know what you're going to do when you get up there. Because if you can pray about it, you should pray that God will keep you safe when you go up the pole. But when you get up there where those lines are, I mean, you better know what you're doing. And that's the way it is when it comes to the scriptures. It's one thing to pray, and we'll never minimize prayer. I think prayer is a key to accurately understanding the scripture. But just because somebody prays doesn't mean they're going to study to rightly divide the scripture. I've heard people say sometimes, well, I really prayed about what to share. Well, okay, good. Now, I hope what you share is accurate. Because just because you said you prayed about what you thought you ought to share doesn't mean you're going to communicate what is accurate. And sometimes somebody will say, well, I really prayed about it. Well, that may or may not mean somebody really knows truth. John Wesley and George Whitfield were both godly men who prayed. In fact, they often stayed together in the early days of their ministry in the same room. And I read Dalimore's two-volume set on Whitfield, and one time Wesley rebuked Whitfield for the fact that Whitfield would get down on his knees and pray and then get up and go to bed. And Wesley would stay on his knees for minutes and half-hour, hours sometimes praying, and he actually chided Whitfield on the fact that, that he would just pray seemingly such a brief period of time and then go to bed and go to sleep. And Whitfield said to him, well, you know what? You're a man who believes in your will. I believe in the sovereign will of God, so I'll just leave it to God and go to bed. And that was Whitfield's approach. And Wesley, who was a man of prayer, he started getting off into some strange things. He started getting off into an experiential type of theology and Arminianism. He got into charismatic stuff. And finally, Whitfield wrote him a letter. It's in Delamore's book in which he said to Wesley, I can't fellowship with you anymore. You're just getting out there. Now, these were guys who prayed. But just because he prayed didn't mean he really accurately interpreted the scriptures. Martin Luther was a man of great prayer. And there was a time in his life when he didn't even think the book of James should be in the Bible. Jacob Arminius lived at a time of John Calvin. They both prayed, but they had very different views of the Bible, interpretations of the Bible. Arminius took a very man-centered focus, and Calvin took a very God-centered focus. So prayer does not automatically mean somebody really grasped the truth. Prayer is an important thing. I believe that that is a key to understanding the Word of God. You have to get down and pray and ask God to give you an understanding of His Word. But that's not the only criteria. Which brings us to the fourth qualification. One must be willing to give himself to intense research and study. If one is going to properly interpret the Bible, one must be after a precise analysis of what the text is saying in the context. That's what you have to do. We're going to give some ground rules for doing that in the days to come, but that's what you must be willing to do. You have to be willing to go after a precise analysis of that text in that context. And again, in that Proverbs text we read, Solomon said to his own son, you need to search out and research things, and he compared the study of the word of God to the intensity of searching for treasure. So to become a skilled Bible interpreter requires some effort. To accurately interpret a text is work. And here's the thing that most people don't realize. An accurate interpretation of a text will end up being far better than a warm, fuzzy feeling. 
When you can look at a text and say, I know what that text of God says, and I can accurately understand it, it's a lot better than some fuzzy feeling because you have come to terms with truth. Bible study is study. Study is a verb. Study is a verb. And that means it requires intense action. So it requires skills and tools and effort. Bible study is not initially looking for a feeling or even a blessing. What Bible study is after is searching for God's truth. You seek to understand infinite truth from infinite God. And Bible study and interpretation is like climbing a mountain. It's tough, but when you get there, it's worth the struggle to come to terms with the true knowledge of God. And I have always been impressed with the Apostle Paul near the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, just before he signs off the book, the guy's in a dungeon, he's sentenced to die, and he writes Timothy and he says, now bring me those parchments and bring me those books. Now you would think he would just sit in the dungeon and meditate on past happy memories of a ministry that was unbelievable. I mean, he traveled all over the world, and churches were established all over the world through his ministry. You would think he'd just sit there in prison and think about that. He goes, no, 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 I want to study. So bring me the parchments and bring me the books. So he wanted to invest his time doing intense study of the word right up until the time he died. And Michael Heiser said, if you don't think Bible studies work, you aren't doing it. Now, the fifth qualification for properly interpreting the Bibles, we must be willing to be taught by others who are skilled. Proverbs 2.2, we read tonight, Solomon told his son, you need to be willing to listen to instruction. And you get instruction from someone who has instruction to give. They know what they're talking about. One of the wisest things for an interpreter to do is you learn from those that know what they're doing. I mean, that's true in any field. You learn from people that know what they're doing. You don't learn from somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. That can get you in a lot of trouble. And the same is true when it comes to biblical study. Now, we're not saying you bypass the discipline of hermeneutics, but we are saying there has to be a willingness to be taught by others who are skilled. Because if somebody thinks they've arrived or they can arrive on their own, they are, as Paul said, they've not yet known as he ought to know. Because there is no such thing. And it doesn't matter who the person is. The person needs to be taught. You need to surround yourself with truth, true teachers. You need to surround yourself with good tools. And if one is not willing to do that, one is never going to come to terms with understanding and interpreting the Bible accurately. Now, the kinds of teachers and writings that I'm referring to are not the shallow dribble that's often found in Christian bookstores and some Bible studies and even some theological institutions. We're talking here about examining things that are skills, skillful works, skillful studies that are being taught by men who are known to be skilled handlers of the Word of God. And Paul told that to Timothy. He said to Timothy, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So true interpretation demands this process. Now we are privileged in this day and age, to have access to all kinds of works and serious studies of people who accurately understood things and they accurately taught those things, 
And we need to take advantage of their skills and their writings in order to properly interpret the scripture. And I'll give you an illustration. One scholarly writing that I have that I love is a series of theological journals called Bibliotheca Sacra that was published by Dallas Theological Seminary. I have a collection of those journals that go back to the mid-1930s. And I pull those things off now and then, and I'll read these scholarly writings on different things, and it's iron sharpening. I mean, it really does help you learn and help you grow. So we need that. I mean, we have to be willing to be taught, and this speaks highly of you. Obviously, you're willing to be taught because you come out to this study on a Wednesday night, which isn't typically a book study or a doctrine study, so you do have that willingness, and you need that. Now, the sixth qualification is one must be willing to study doctrine and one must be willing to be taught doctrine. Now, here, I think, is one of the major problems with many who teach and lead Bible studies. They have never really seriously studied systematic theology and they don't know what they're doctrinally doing. That minister that tried to walk on water that got killed by an alligator had no true understanding of Christology. He had never been taught the truth about the deity of Jesus Christ and the things that Jesus Christ was doing to establish that he was God. He hadn't been taught doctrine. Had he been taught doctrine, he wouldn't have done that. Now in Romans 6.17, Paul stresses the fact that a critical key to growth is being obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Now what those words imply is that there was a system of instruction or doctrine that was presented to those believers. They needed to know that. They needed to have a heart that was committed to that. True doctrine and true systematic theology sets the parameters for a legitimate and true interpretation. And I want you to remember this. This is crucial. Not every interpretation of a text is legitimately or doctrinally plausible. And no true interpretation of God's word will ever contradict sound doctrine, true doctrine found in the word of God. There will be a symmetry between a true interpretation of a text and true doctrine. And to arrive at a true interpretation of a text, you need two systematic types of study. You need systematic theology doctrine, and you need systematic Bible book study. In my opinion, probably the finest systematic theology that anyone can ever have in their library is Lewis Sperry Chafer's eight-volume set of systematic theology. You can get it now. It's a four-volume set, but all eight volumes are in the four volumes. Probably the finest that's ever been written. I mean, it was the first and finest dispensational systematic theology that brought doctrine into an induction of studying the scriptures and actually forming doctrine based on an inductive study of the scriptures. Dr. Chafer did it. Mr. Miles told me that when he was in school learning from Dr. Chafer, Chafer hadn't published that theology yet. He was working on it. He was giving handouts like we give handouts here. That's what he was doing in class. He was giving handouts. He said he was working on that theology. And I want to tell you that is a powerful systematic theology. You stick with that theology as your core, and you'll never go beyond the parameters of what is legitimate for any interpretation of a text. So one needs to be taught doctrine, and one needs to study doctrine. The seventh qualification is one must believe that a true interpretation of a text is possible. We began looking tonight at John eight thirty two. you shall know the truth, And the truth shall set you free. He said, you shall know the truth. Not you might know it. You shall know it. 
When it comes to interpreting the Bible, you must definitely have a desire to want to know that you're coming to a right interpretation. James said that when we ask for something, we need to ask in faith and not doubting. He says if we pray doubting, God won't let us receive what we're praying for. So whenever we prayerfully approach a text of Scripture and we ask God to allow us to understand what he's written here so that it can feed us and feed the people of God, we must approach it believing it's possible to properly interpret it. That's the way we approach the Bible. We believe that there are some things that are hard to understand in the scriptures. Peter says that. But that doesn't mean they cannot ever be understood. And you know, you run into these people and that's their view of the Bible. Well, everybody has their views. Everybody has their views, so you cannot really ever know what the Bible is saying. Well, we believe there's one true, one true interpretation of every text. And we're going to defend that and show you how we arrive at that in the weeks to come. One true interpretation of every text, which quite honestly means all other interpretations are wrong. In my years of biblical study, I've accumulated quite a sizable library. I'm very particular about commentaries I purchase, very particular. And on occasion, I have come across a commentary where they just decided to jump over a text because... They felt it was too difficult. In fact, one commentator said, well, we'll leave this for the scholars to decide. I thought, you're the guy writing the commentary. If you're writing a commentary on the text, why don't you deal with the text? Why are you saying you're going to leave this for the scholars? So no matter what the field is, no matter what the occupation is, you don't get to the top unless you're willing to work hard and consistently pursue what you're pursuing. And that's the same with Bible interpretation. You have to keep digging. You have to keep looking, keep praying, keep analyzing, keep assessing. You go after it, and you'll find it. You must believe an accurate interpretation is there. Now, an eighth qualification is one must have an attitude of humility, teachable humility that's willing to change thinking. Now, the scriptures must be approached in a reverent way, and they must be approached in a humble way. And in any capacity of anything, there's no rude for pride in connection with God. And there's no room for pride even in reading the Bible. There are two extremes to avoid. First of all, an unhealthy, proud independency. An unhealthy, proud independency that says, we don't need anybody teaching us anything. We can just figure this out on our own. That's a pride. And the other is an unhealthy, proud dependency. Well, our denomination says this about that. So instead of actually looking and analyzing a text, they rely on that in a proud way. But the Apostle Paul said it well when he said, If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he's not yet known as he ought to know. And what we can all be assured of is God never blesses pride, even if it is in studying his word. God never wants any of his people to think more highly of themselves than they ought. We're all students here. We all need to grow more, learn more, study more. That's true of every single one of us. Coming to terms with God's truth requires a humble attitude and a contrite spirit. And people can get proud, even in the arena of church and religion and things, they can get proud of their church and denomination and the beliefs. And that doesn't mean they actually understand the scriptures. They're just proud people. They're proud people who are just digging their heels into something they think they know when they don't even know it. Proud people never grow deep because God is not going to let them grow deep. We've not arrived, 
We need to continue to learn and we need to continue to grow. And if we're going to accurately understand God's word, we must be humble enough and honest enough to say, you know what? What I've been taught isn't right. We must be humble enough and honest enough to say that was wrong. And when we understand it's God's truth, and that's it, God's truth, not religious stuff. When we come to terms with what a text is saying, we must be willing to make some adjustments and changes when we see the truth and not arrogantly refuse it or stand against it. Now, I was raised as a young boy in a Baptist church. And quite honestly, as far as my memory goes back there, they had ministers who loved the Lord, but I don't think too many of them really knew what they were doing with the Word. There was a lot of topical things and passages. I distinctly remember one time when I was like 15, was dispensationally butchered because I asked a question and no one could even answer the question when I asked it. So before I seriously studied the Bible, I just accepted what the church was saying and figured, well, that must be truth. But when I went to school and began to study things like doctrine and this kind of study, and then we got into other things like exegesis and and some language studies, and I started to get that, I began to look at passages and I thought, man, that doesn't seem to agree with what they're saying in that church. And every single time when that would happen, I'd be looking at the text and I'd go, well, this is what the text says, but this is what the church is saying. And it brought me to a crossroads where I'd have to say, well, am I going to stick with what the church says or am I going to stick with what this text says or doesn't say? I could write a whole list of stuff where I've changed my mind. Charismatic movement, legalism versus grace, election, water baptism, the phrase husband of one wife, drinking wine, using wine at communion, altar calls that beg people to come forward, versions of the Bible, gray areas, leadership offices, lordship salvation, divorce and remarriage. Every time I'm carefully searching the scriptures and I would come to truth and I go, but that's not what they're saying at church. But here's what the truth is saying. So I would have to say, am I going to humble myself to the truth or I'm going to stay in a proud frame of mind against this because this is what some guy says at church? Years ago, I was contacted by a Baptist church who asked if I had become their pastor. Would I consider it? Would I pray about it? I said, no. And they said, well, why not? I said, I'll tell you why. I said, because... I am a person who's given to carefully studying and analyzing truth. And what's going to happen if I come to your church is I'm going to take a position for truth that will contradict your baptistic beliefs. And quite honestly, I just don't want the hassle of it. Oh, no, 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 no. We want you to think about this. That's what we're after. That's why we're coming here. We're asking you, would you consider coming here because we're after truth? I said, I don't think so. I don't want to go to war. I don't want to get in a war in your church. I just don't think it would be a good fit. Well, I'll tell you, you show us from the word of God any place where we're not lining up with the word of God and we'll be willing to change. I said, okay, let's go to the book of Acts. So we go to the book of Acts, and I said, how many offices you see there in that text? Well, there's elders and deacons. I said, okay, elders, singular, plural? A oh, plural. 
How many you got? Well, uh, let's see. I'll tell you what you've got. You've got pastor that you've made an office that isn't even an office. It's a gift. It's a gift of the church. The pastor teacher is a gift of the church. I said, then you have elders. You don't agree to that. So you have deacons. Then you've made up your own group trustees. You've made this stuff up. I said, no, a guy like me comes into your church and I'm after truth. We're going to have some real problems. It's going to create problems with you. It's going to create problems with the congregation. And frankly, I, I just don't need that. So I declined the opportunity of even looking at that particular church. James brings out a critical point in James 4 when he says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when we're approaching the scriptures, we want to approach it with a humble, contrite spirit that wants to understand truth And we'll discover if we do that, if we're after truth, and when we know the truth, we apply the truth, we'll go far and we'll go deep in understanding truth. Which brings us to the ninth qualification, the final qualification, and that is we must have a sense of responsibility and passion to know truth and obey the truth. Once we know it, once we see it, once we understand it is truth, our job is to obey it. We must be able to sift through the opinions of people. We must be able to sift through the religious views of people and sort it all out. And once we understand truth, stand for it. And God will bless you for doing that. Well, that completes our study tonight. We're way, way over time. I want to thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.